Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is Maximum Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen. This is Podcast 223. Welcome back. Hopefully you're not experiencing those winter blues I'm hearing about out there in the world, and especially in the United States. Though I have to admit, having white on the ground is better than having brown grass and being colder. Better yet, just living in a warm climate where you don't have to worry about it, and it's warm all the time. <laughs> Wherever you are around the world, welcome Maximizers. We learn to maximize your influence, maximize your success, maximize your income. Appreciate your emails, your support, your kind words. As we talk about another topic of persuasion here on Maximize Your Influence. Remember, I can be reached at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com with thoughts, suggestions, derogatory remarks, what you want to hear on the show. Send good stuff. We'll put it on the show. Again, thanks for being here. Appreciate your support. Let's dive right into the geeky article. So this comes from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology on how to look smarter. I think we all need that. I want that. You need that. We all want to look smart, appear smart, gives us credibility, increases trust. But sometimes we don't come across as very smart or very competent. Even if you're the smartest person in the room, a lot of times study shows, no, you're not coming across that way. That's one of the things I do in my three-day seminars. I have people stand up and introduce themselves while the other side of the room evaluates their first impressions of them. What do they really think about them? Do they seem smart? Do they seem competent? Now, you might cringe a little bit, but it's important to know you can't fix what you don't know is broken. And it might not be broken. You might need to fine-tune a few things here and there, and that's what we're going to be talking about here. How do you demonstrate a higher IQ, especially with your eyes and your voice? So the research is finding that maintaining eye contact while talking is one of the easiest, quickest, safest ways to appear smart. Now, not staring at them. If you stare them down, it either means you're angry or falling in love, which might not help in the persuasion process. So they did a study where people were recording these presentations when they're trying to look smart, act smart, right? And they tried to figure out what was it that made them smart or look smart when other people saw the video. People judged the videos and they found maintaining good eye contact while speaking was rated as giving the smartest appearance. Isn't that interesting? Just a little good eye contact. We know eyes are the window to the soul. We know that eye contact is critical, especially in this age where everyone's looking at their phone or easily distracted. So they were judged smarter whether they were or not. So we've talked about that eye contact, and that's also important while you're listening, not just while you're talking. Standing upright, your posture, are you slouching? That's a big challenge with cell phones now. We're all naturally slouching over. That affects not only our posture, but if you've studied power poses and testosterone, it affects that too and how you act. It affects your thoughts and your emotions. They also found speaking a little longer than your prospect, a self-assured expression, being responsive. Now, some of those are like, well, duh, and I'll agree with you on that one, but The biggest one out of all those is the eye contact, maintaining the eye contact. Maintain the eye contact while you're listening. When it's easy to look away, be distracted, look at your cell phone, you are rated as more intelligent. How easy is that? 
The more intelligent you are, the more competent you come across, and the more trust you can have, and the people are easier to persuade. Because if they don't trust you, if you're not competent, if you can't solve their problem, it's very difficult to persuade and influence. So that is our article. That's some great research there. Again, that's the journal Personality and Social Psychology. Pick it up, read it, or just listen to the show. So let's get to the blunder. But instead of the blunder this week, we're going to do the ninja. Ninja go. And I don't know if we're 100% positive that's a ninja sound. But anyway, this goes out to Oreo. Oreo cookies. These are found around the world. My friends in the Middle East and Asia, I think it has a different name, but it's basically the chocolate cookie on the outside with the white filling on the inside. That's an Oreo. Different names, but I think we enjoy it around the world. But Oreo's been famous for coming out with all these different flavors, from peanut butter to red velvet to sweetest fish. I mean, you name it. They've come out with some interesting flavors. But this ninja goes to Oreo. And it's going to lead into our content for the day. They did Oreo mystery cookies at the end of last year. And that's what it said right on. You didn't know the flavor. It was a mystery. You had to figure it out. And if you figured it out, you could win $50,000. And you're asking, well, Kurt, why is this the Ninja? Well, it's intriguing to people. What is the new flavor? Can I figure it out? There's a contest. I can win $50,000. I want to know the answer. And if you get people to come to your website and to vote, they're more engaged, they want to hear what you say, that is a ninja. I mean, there's so many great things here that causes people to be engaged, to want to know more, to want to try it out. It's unfinished, there's suspense. That is a critical part of persuasion now, especially now since attention spans are an all-time low. In fact, in the past, a lot of companies have done contests where you write in, why do you like the product, what's your favorite thing, why would you recommend it to your friend? This is a consumer endorsement. But what happens if you write it down and people tend to embellish and, yeah, I'll tell my friends and, oh, it's the greatest thing ever because they want to win the prize? It actually becomes a belief to them because they've written it down, they've sent it in, and it actually makes them more supportive to the product and the company. Now, maybe a little devious there, but it's kind of a technique they used to use, especially with contests and essays and those type of things. And that's kind of what's happening here. When you're telling your friends about it, you want to know the mystery, what is it? It's suspenseful, there's a competition there. I mean, all these elements are coming together to make Oreo the ninja. So you probably want to know, what is that flavor, right? That mystery flavor. When they spent six months of suspense and intrigue trying to figure it out. We want to know? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Well, I'll tell you, okay? Because this suspense, this unfinished business is going to be part of the show. Our content today, it's called the Zagardic Effect. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the flavor of all things, and I don't know who chose this, it was Fruity Pebbles. It was kind of like Fruit Loops or Fruity Pebbles, if you have that cereal. That was the flavor. That was the hubbub. People won $50,000, and they all wanted to know what the flavor was. They were all guessing. And some got it right, some didn't. There were some really interesting guesses on that. But it was Fruity Pebbles or Fruit Loops. And that leads us into the content of the show, the Zigarnik Effect. And it's been a while since we've talked about the Zigarnik Effect. And, and the Zigarnik Effect is part of the law of involvement. It's one of the laws of persuasion and maximum influence. Remember, you haven't picked up your maximum influence, your free maximum influence book, the latest edition. That's on lawsofinfluence.com. It is free. You just pick up shipping and handling, and we'll send it right out to you. Lawsofinfluence.com. The law to take a look at is law of involvement. So let's talk about this Zagarnik effect. 
This is named after Bluma Zagarnik. This goes back to 1927, if you want to know. Uh, sitting in a cafe in Vienna, Austria. She was from Russia, I believe. She noticed that the waiters and waitresses didn't have any notepads, and they would go around taking orders, giving orders to the cook, delivering orders, what tabs are open, what tabs are closed. And they found that they remembered the tabs that were left open better than the tabs that were left closed as far as what was in them. They found out once they told the cook what to make and deliver the food, they could remember that person order if you asked them like 30 minutes later. And that's the key to the Zagarnik effect. You're like, okay, Kurt, what does that mean? Basically, the human brain remembers things that are unfinished better than things that are finished. And that's important on a lot of parameters for you in persuasion and influence. For example, the Oreo, it's unfinished. What is the flavor? What is it? Can I figure it out? It sticks in your brain more than once you know what the flavor is. If you're watching the news on TV, right? Your drinking water's killing you. Stay tuned. You're like, whoa, unfinished. Doesn't guarantee you're going to stick around, but you're probably going to stick around to figure out why your drinking water's killing you. Or if you're watching network TV and that suspenseful movie and the knife comes up and all the music comes on and up, oh, commercial, because you stick around. That's the Zagarnik effect. When something is incomplete, people tend to remember it more. It sticks in their brain more. So this is good in marketing. This is good in direct mail. This is good in persuasion. We can leave people hanging wanting to know more. Because when you tell them everything right up front and you vomit on them and everything's complete and you go away and come back, they're not going to remember it as much as when you tell them only a few things. Even a presentation, the three things you need to know. If you skip one, it freaks people out. Or if you leave a voicemail with everything they need to do versus, hey, the two things we talked about yesterday found the perfect solution, give me a call. Unfinished increases the chance they're going to call you back. We see this in great presentations when someone's telling a story and then they do a little instruction and they give a little more of the story, some more instruction, more of the story. People stay tuned. They want to know the end of the story. It's unfinished in their brain and they pay more attention. You see this in direct mail all the time, a report that reveals the biggest blunder managers make that are costing millions of dollars a year that are causing them to fail, right? Well, what is that? I want to know what that is. Before a presentation or a webinar, you let them know what you're going to solve, what you're going to give them at the end. It's unfinished. It's unfinished. So the Zagarn effect is a promise to reveal certain information or maybe a gift you give them later at the end or at a later time, it just sticks in their brain. The next time you talk, this is what you're going to reveal, this is what you're going to give them. People remember it more. We see it in headlines all the time. The National Enquirer, okay? That's a great place to learn how to make headlines. They just grab your attention. You want to know where the monster boy came from. You want to know why a certain movie star did this. You want to know who just lost 100 pounds. It keeps you on your toes. That is the Zagarnik effect. In your marketing or your email, you could say something like, you could start getting immediate results in your, and you can fill in the blank there, and you'll be amazed with what happens and the results that you get. But where do you start? What are the steps? What do you need to do first, second, and third? Okay, that's the gardening. People want to know those steps. Because the way this works, the human mind is always motivated to finish a task or seek closure, and then it just puts it away. You can forget about it. But when something's unfinished or there's suspense or intrigue or it's not resolved, the brain holds on to it more. It's how we're programmed as human beings. Now, if you use it a little too much, it's going to annoy people. They're going to walk away, obviously. People are going to walk away. But this can be strategically used. 
I mean, it's one of the things that drives humans nuts in a breakup. When you break up with somebody or a business partner leaves you or a divorce situation, a lot of times there's no closure for people in that relationship. Why did that happen? What did I do wrong? Was it them? Was it me? Why did they just leave? That was rude. They should have told me more. What exactly? Was it me? Was it them? What's going on? Right? All these things just drive people nuts and it just lingers in their brains and it drives them nuts. Whose fault is it? It's their fault. They did it. What did I do? Right? Just over and over replays that all those unanswered questions just put people in a downward spiral. That's why divorce and breakups and partnerships when they break up, it just puts people in that downward spirals. They get mad, they get angry, they point fingers, they don't have answers to their questions. They want to know why it wasn't their fault. Is it their fault? Somebody else's fault? What's going on? That's why those type of things emotionally are devastating to people because of those unknown questions and because it's unfinished in their brain. It's very difficult for people to put that to rest. And for a lot of them, when they don't have answers, it just takes time to slowly put that to rest. They just have to realize they're not going to have all the answers. That's why getting someone to start a task or start a project and then moving on to something else, at least it's been started, at least in their brain, it's going to stick in their brain because it's been unfinished. Now, obviously, you don't want to start 2,000 different projects. That would probably make the brain explode, but strategically, it can be used. Now, another aspect of this, too, is competition. You notice in the Oreo example, there's competition. Win the $50,000, be the first to guess. It creates instant involvement. Most humans are very competitive. When you package something as a competition, most people want to be involved. They want to win. Now, some personality types shy away from competition, but most people are naturally competitive. And if they feel like they have the tools, they want to compete. They want to win. And what great persuaders do is they use competition with the groups they're dealing with. And you may introduce competition in your presentation or a rivalry between different entities or companies. Maybe using competition where each individual is competing against himself, or perhaps you can create competition between individual members of the group or the team. Now, you don't want to divide them. You want to keep it fun. But competition can be very motivational and very persuasive. See, competition creates that engagement, that involvement. And if you're working with the group and you could create a common enemy, wow, that brings people together. That's competition. You'll see more energy, teamwork, and motivation towards the goal. Because when the forces are divided and the competition is against each other, everyone's trying to look good or pull the other person down, that sucks the life out of a group. The fastest way to set up this type of competition within a group is either to create an external threat or simply set your group against another group. In fact, a group of researchers wanted to test this competition as a motivator. They went to a summer camp for boys. Now, as you imagine, it's pretty easy to create an atmospheric competition, especially with boys at summer camp. It's natural. It's built into their brain. But they separated the boys into two cabins, and they created this sentiment of we versus they, right? The other cabin, the other people, the other team. And these competitive feelings came out, and the two groups became very competitive against each other. I mean, they were doing things like treasure hunts, tug awards, baseball games, and other athletic competitions. But then it grew to name-calling and scuffles and fights. Those type of things grew more common. So finally... The researchers wanted to see if they could take that competitiveness to create cooperation towards something mutually productive and beneficial. Basically, what they're trying to do is get them to come together. So they had this competition between each other. So they set up the situation where a truck going into town for food was stuck. And it required all the boys from both cabins, both teams, to help pushing and pulling to get it back on the road again. And when the boys were told there was a great movie available to rent but no money to rent it, 
when they did that, they came together, and the animosity and the anger went down. They were on the same team, that same common goal. Or another thing they tried is that they had this great movie. They wanted to show it to everyone, but there was no money to rent it. When they got everyone to pool their resources and donate a little money together, both cabins, both teams, they were able to do it and they enjoyed the movie together. This is all part of involvement, engagement, and the Zagarnik effect. And let me add one final one to this is distraction. That's an interesting one because you have to remember that attention spans are all time low. I don't need to go into that. You already know that. The studies show it time and time again. It's astounding what the numbers show. That would be for another podcast. But distraction has been proven to increase your ability to persuade. Now, on the flip side, if the distraction is disagreeable or too big, your persuasive ability will diminish. This means depending on the situation, you can persuade better with a distraction than with a total concentration. Isn't that interesting? So Leon Festinger and Nathan McCoby, famous psychiatrist, proved this theory with a famous study. And the reason this works when people are concentrating too much, they're thinking of counter-arguments, why they shouldn't do it, when there's a little distraction, sometimes they don't spend as much mental energy doing that. So in the study, they found the best distractors. And it was food, I think we knew that one, and sex appeal tended to work the best as a distractor. Isn't that interesting? And did another experiment where two people attempted to persuade college students that fraternities are bad. Now, if they're in a fraternity, that's going to cause some dissonance. And so they just say, no, they're bad. They gave them all the proof. And they knew their presentation would not be received well by the students. So they looked at the numbers the first time, and then they tried it a second time. And the second time, they played a funny, silent movie during the presentation. And the results were astounding. They were amazing. Is that most of the students who were distracted by the silent movie changed their opinions about fraternities. And so the bottom line, interesting to think about, that distracting the conscious mind increased the persuasiveness of the message. Isn't that interesting? Engagement, involvement, suspense, competition, the Zagardnik effect, unfinished business, is all part of engagement and involvement. Things we don't think about sometimes. We've got to focus, keep their attention, give them the whole picture, not creating competition. Can all be things we don't think about in the world of persuasion and influence. So think about it this week. How could you use the Zagarnik effect to increase your ability to persuade and influence? So that's our show today. That's show 223. Appreciate your love and support. Remember the free book plus shippings at lawsofinfluence.com. More on the law of involvement is on episode 105. That's in the archives of the Maximize Your Influence podcast. That's available at influenceuniversity.com. That's our free membership site for podcasts and other videos and resources. And also home of the 52-week PhD program if you're really serious about amplifying and accelerating your ability to persuade and influence. So my friends, thank you for being here. Thanks for your love and support. Remember to master these skills, become more persuasive, learn how to influence, get what you want, when you want, and win friends for life, and make the world a better place. Now, go out and persuade with power.